Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church, and we are thankful you've chosen to spend part of your weekend worshiping with us at Sojourn. Uh, if you have been with us the last several weeks, you will know that we have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount and the book of Matthew, where we have been calling the series The Kingdom Manifesto. We're going to pick back up today in chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there or open your app. And if for some reason you're tuning in with us and you don't own a Bible, uh, one, you can download the Bible on an app for free on your smartphone, but let us know if you would like a Bible. Just put it in the chat box or send us an email, and we would love to send you a Bible as a gift from us. Uh, it really is a life-changing book. It really is uh, where you will find the hope that you are longing for and looking for, so we would love to bless you with a copy of Scripture if you do not own one. This week, we're going to be looking at kingdom integrity and mostly truth-telling and lying. Uh, this is, our, I believe, our fourth week now, and these practical kingdom principles that we're looking at and how we live out this upside-down kingdom of Jesus. And so this week is looking at uh, really truth-telling, uh, oaths, and, and lying. And my guess is if we took a poll this morning and asked, how many of you think you're liars? My guess is in a church gathering, many of us would not admit to being liars or that we, that we lie. But according to a recent study, it revealed that 96% of Americans admit to lying. That was actually a much higher percentage than I realized. And so think about lies and liars. They have been around since the fall in the book of Genesis. Now, we've seen stories throughout our world and throughout history that teach us about lies and liars and, and why we shouldn't lie and, and the consequences of those who lie. Let me give you a couple of those. Think about the boy who cried wolf. This is a famous Aesop's fable where we tell the story of a boy who he, he vexes the villages, uh, villagers again and again by crying wolf. And they would come out to see the wolf that he was uh, crying about and come to rescue him, even though there was never a wolf there. Well, one day he learns his lesson, and he learns his lesson a little bit too late because they didn't believe him any longer because he had been known to be a liar. And so even when he was speaking the truth, people, when he finally did cry wolf and there was a wolf, nobody listened to him. Uh, one of the most famous ones that we think of as kids is Pinocchio, the, I think it was the second Disney film ever made, who when his wooden puppet turns into a boy, learns that when he tells lies, his, grows, his nose grows longer and longer. Now, as a side note, that would help us, I think. If, if we knew if we were going to tell a lie that our nose would physically grow out and come out, I think that would actually keep some of us from lying. Perhaps one of the most known stories in recent history in, uh, for us is that of Lance Armstrong. If you're familiar with Lance Armstrong, he stood on the podium after winning his seventh Tour de France title in 2005, and he was exultant. And here's what Lance said when he was on stage. He said, for you people who don't believe in cycling, the cynics and the skeptics, I'm sorry for you. He said, I'm sorry you can't dream big enough, and I'm sorry you don't believe in miracles. You should stand around and believe. You should believe in these athletes. There are no secrets. This is a hard sporting event and a hard work wins it. So, um, vive la tour forever. Now, when Armstrong said, you should believe in these athletes, he might as well have been talking to himself. 
For years, he vehemently denied the rumors that he was cheating in order to win. But by the time the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency filed an official report in 2012 that said the cyclists had used performance-enhancing drugs, Armstrong had already been lying to the world for more than a decade, saying that he was clean. Now, he was stripped of all of his medals, if you uh, remember this story. Another one that you'll probably remember is that of Martha Stewart, who was caught in a lie that resulted in her actually going to prison for five months. Stewart was later interviewed about Armstrong and those like herself, and she said that my advice to them would be to tell the truth. Jeremy Helliger says, lying is part of our survival instinct. We do it to save our butts. We exaggerate and embellish to impress and entertain. Lies of omission to keep appearances and maintain peace. Occasionally, if desperation strikes, we might resort to weaving a tangled web of deception. It doesn't necessarily make us bad people, just real people. Now that brings us to this morning. That brings us to our church gathering as Sojourn Church, where I should be able to stand here and, and present a message like this to you, to a primarily Christian audience, although we, I believe we have non-Christians watching as well. But to a primarily Christian audience, I should be able to present this message and I should say, be people of integrity, don't lie, and we should all say, amen, let's sing another song or two and celebrate and then go on with our day. Yet, we have found ourselves in a place where we need more from this sermon than perhaps ever. It seems that everybody lies. Politicians lie. I know we just kind of recent off this election, but politicians lie. If you didn't know that and this was your first election cycle, then I'm sorry. Famous people lie. Spouses lie. Friends lie. Family members lie. Your mechanics lie. Lawyers lie. It seems that everybody lies. I can remember as a kid lying myself about different things. Primarily, I would lie to stay out of trouble for something. When I would get caught into something and tell my parents, no, I didn't do that, or that was, you know, blame somebody else if I could. And so I was lying, or, or I would lie sometimes to pretend that I was in the know on something that I actually wasn't on the know on. I see this with my, all, my own kids all the time. I'll catch them on their computer doing something they're not supposed, not supposed to be on the computer. We try to limit the screen time since they're in virtual school. I'll say, you're not supposed to be on your computer. I, I wasn't doing this. So they'll kind of shut the laptop as they hear me walking into the room. Even as I was preparing uh, this morning, my five-year-old came up to me and said, open the glue stick. I found a glue stick. Open the glue stick. I said, what'd your mom say? She said it was okay for you to open it. Well, I knew that wasn't true. So immediately I went and asked Andrea just to double check. She said, I didn't tell him that. I said, Oliver, I caught you in a lie. I said, I get to use you as an example now in my sermon. And so we see that these, these lies start from a very young age. And we'll see this bold-faced lie to get them out of trouble. But it's not only kids who lie. Okay, we can point to kids and say, of course, kids do that. Adults do it too. I imagine you do it too. If I'm having a conversation with you and I don't understand something that you've said, I'll ask you to repeat yourself. Now, some of you may have had these conversations with me. And I'm probably nodding my head and affirmation of what you're saying. But have you ever had to ask someone to repeat themselves two, three, maybe four times? It's, it gets really awkward. You say, well, can you say that again? I'm sorry, I still didn't hear you. Oh, can you repeat that one more time? And once you hit the third or fourth time, they think, man, do you need to get your hearing checked or do you need hearing aids? And so you don't want to ask them again. And so what do you do? If you're me, you just pretend like you've actually finally heard them. And you, and you kind of nod along and say, uh-huh. Like you're tracking with what they're saying. And, and you say, that's great. The problem is that's a really risky thing to do. What if they just told you, man, I just found out this week I've got cancer. Or, man, my grandmother passed away this week. 
of COVID. And you're, and you're, and you're sitting there going, uh-huh, man, that's great. No, that's not great. But we'll lie to stay faced and, and, and lie because we think, man, I don't want to have to ask them to repeat themselves another fourth or fifth time. I do some type of public speaking 50 to 100 times a year between preaching on Sunday and uh, conferences and, and, and different videos and things that I'm asked to do throughout the country. And I'm even tempted to lie from stage when I'm speaking. The temptation is a lie about the stories and the examples that I'll share to, to embellish them, to make them sound more, uh, more relevant and cool than what they actually are. I think if we're honest, we all do that to a degree. The reality is most of us live pretty normal and somewhat dull and boring lives. But what do we like to do? We like to make our lives and our stories seem more important. We like to make ourselves the hero of the stories oftentimes. And some of us are just really good at storytelling. We all face this continual temptation with traffic. You leave to go somewhere and you left a little bit too late. And you know that you left too late. You know that you're not going to be on time. So what do you do? You send a text. Or maybe when you arrive, say, man, I hit all the stoplights. Or, man, traffic was just horrendous getting, getting here. But you know it takes 10 minutes to get there. But you left five minutes till you were supposed to be there. I've had this happen quite a bit. We are a one-car family by choice. And uh, there's been a few times here recently when I needed to be home by a certain time to give Andrea the car to go and translate. And I knew I left a little bit too late from that meeting. I, I just couldn't wrap it up quite, you know, quite wrap it up. And, and I'm just like, oh, man, traffic's really bad. I'm hitting these lights. But reality is... I left too late. And so to stay face, I'm caught in a lie. So today what we're going to do is we're going to see what Jesus has to say about this topic. So go ahead and look now at Matthew 5, uh, starting in verse 33. It says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into the text itself. God, we come again to you this morning, thanking you, God, that we get this opportunity to learn from your word week in and week out. God, we've looked at some just practical relationship issues the last several weeks, and this week we're looking at truth-telling and lying. And so, God, this is an area that I would go ahead and say that we all struggle with to a different degree. And so, God, I ask that your Spirit would speak to us, draw our hearts and our minds and our attention back to you this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, so what we're going to do as we look at these verses is we're going to answer three different questions from the text itself. The first question is, we're going to ask the question, what was the standard of truth-telling that Jesus was addressing? The second question is, what is the standard of truth-telling that Jesus proposes as an alternative? And the third question, what are the practical implications of truth-telling for followers of Jesus today? So our first question, what was the standard of truth-telling that Jesus was addressing? Now, once again, each week we kind of look at the context here and, and the rabbis, once again, they, would, they were followers of the law and they were teachers of the law, but they were also finding permissive ways around the law. And so here we have the rabbis, if they were permissive in their attitude to divorce, then they were also going to be permissive in their teaching about oaths. And so it's just another example of their devious treatment of the Old Testament and scripture in order to make it more, more attainable, basically, make it a little bit easier to attain and to obey. 
And so we must first look at the Mosaic law and then at the Pharisaic distortion and finally at the true implication of the law on which Jesus insisted. Jesus was actually coming in and drawing to a conclusion, actual truth telling. And the Pharisees were yet again drawing a line. So the Pharisees always wanted to draw that line and say, how close can I get? Let me draw it here. And if you, if you go up to this point, you're okay. You're, you're still good with oaths. But if you cross over, then you've gone to the point of beyond and, and lying and not speaking of truth. Whereas Jesus said, no, I'm actually going to draw a conclusion, truth telling. So there's a few scriptures in the Old Testament I think we need to visit in order to frame this correctly. First of those is Exodus 27. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Leviticus 19.12 says, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. Numbers 30, 20, or 32, sorry. When a man vows a vow to the Lord, he shall not break his word. Deuteronomy 23, 21. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not be slack to pay it. Now, even a superficial reading of these commandments indicates plainly their intention. They, they prohibit false swearing or perjury. That is making a vow and then breaking it. So it's not saying... You can't make a vow saying, don't make a vow that you know you're going to break. Don't make the vow and then go on to break it. That's what was actually happening. That was actually what was being commanded here. But the deceptive Pharisees got to work on these offer of prohibitions to restrict them. They shifted people's attention away from the vow itself and, and, and the formula to keep it. And so what they would argue is what the law was prohibiting was not taking the name of the Lord in vain, but the, taking the name of the Lord in vain. And so they would kind of take and twist and turn to where you would almost be confused or almost that you would have a kind of a way to get out of it because you would say, well, I didn't, I didn't know, I necessarily know it wasn't explained to me that way. And so we see this idea of false swearing and they concluded that that meant profanity. They, ideally, what they meant was a profane, profane use of the divine name, not perjury, a dishonest pledging of one's word. So they developed this elaborate rules for taking of vows. And that's what the setting is. That's what's happening here. Now, swearing an oath wasn't the actual issue, okay? There's some to this day who, who that's what they believe the issue is saying, but that's not what the actual issue is. The issue is swearing an oath and not keeping it. That was the issue, which we call that lying. So it wasn't that you couldn't swear an oath, but it was saying don't swear an oath if you know that you're not going to keep it because then you have broken that oath and you have been a liar. Now, why is a vow even necessary? Because we know that people aren't good at keeping their word. This is why sometimes when you are talking to people, or I think I'm talking to my children, I'll say, do you promise, Dad? Do you promise we'll go to the park when you get finished working? Do you pinky swear that we'll get donuts this weekend? And so why do they do that? Well, because they know that I'll get busy doing work or kind of in my own world, and I won't necessarily always follow through on what it is that I told them we would do. But we do that in our adult relationships as well. Or you might hear someone say, Man, I swear in my grandmother's grave. Or I swear by this. Why do they do that? They're trying to say, my word is good. You should believe me. But if people's word were actually good, they would never have had to say, I swear on someone's grave or, or I pinky promise or any of those things. This is why we still have a judge and a jury today when you go into a court of law. Because they know that people's word is not, people's word's not good enough. And that they actually have to say, hey, we need you to swear by this and swear on this book that you're going to tell the truth and the whole truth. Even though we know that people still lie in courtrooms every day. And so it was the same in their day with the teachers of the law. Now, there was a school of thought, a school of interpretation that came in play here. And they came in teaching that vows that didn't include or imply God's name weren't actually vows under God's law. 
R. Kent Hughes, uh, who has a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he said there was an ongoing epidemic of frivolous swearing and oaths that were continually mingled with everyday speech. And so they would say things like, by your life, by my beard. Now, swearing by one's beard, that's a hipster's worst nightmare, that you have to swear something by your beard. And may I never see the comfort of Israel and so on and so forth. So we see there's this frivolous swearing of oaths, this ongoing epidemic at the time. So it was like they were adding more and more things. You know, I'll swear by my my livestock. I'll swear by my family and all of these things because people's word just was no longer was no longer good. And so this leads us to our second question. Our second question then is, what is the standard of truth telling that Jesus is proposing as an alternative? Look back again at verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the, his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, Jesus was reminding them and us, the standard for truth-telling has always been the same. So we're just saying this isn't different from the Old Testament. The standard has always been the same. In other words, what he was doing is he was smashing the secular and sacred divide. Now let me explain what I mean by that. The secular and sacred divide would be like this. If you don't mention God, then it doesn't count. But if you do mention God, then it does count. Now how does that look for us today? If you're at work... It doesn't matter how you live. But if you are in church, then it does matter. If you're at home with your kids, it doesn't matter if you're telling the truth or not. But if you are in gospel community on a Wednesday night, it does matter if you're telling the truth or not. And so you see, they create the secular and the sacred divide on when you're in these places, you need to tell the truth. And when you're in this place, it's okay if you don't actually tell the truth. We still see this today, not only with lying, but just how one lives out their life, even as a Christian. We'll say, hey, you can do whatever you want Monday through Saturday. You know, whatever you want on the weekends, um, when we're not under a freeze and the clubs and everything are open, live how you want. But when you come to our gathering, you put on that smile and kind of put on that facade of who it is that you are. So there's secular and sacred divide, but it actually, Jesus comes and kind of smashes that whole thing. So that's not how it's supposed to be. Uh, Matthew 23, verses 16 through 22 says, Woe to you, blind guides. Jesus calls them blind guides. I mean, that's that's pretty like, that doesn't sound like a lot does, but like in your face, you're like, you're blind. He says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. In other words, Jesus was saying that your secular and your sacred divides are foolish because he, Jesus, owns all of it. They might make you feel better, but they are foolish. Now, the temptation to a message like this one, we hear this, we, we hear about truth-telling, about lying, we see how stupid and foolish the Pharisees were and the teachers of the law in Jesus' day. And so what do we do? Thank God that we are not like those fools. 
Thank God that we are not like the Pharisees. Thank God that we are not like the teachers of the law in his day. We say a prayer. We worship through a couple more songs. We finish our gathering. We feel pretty good about ourselves, pat ourselves on the back and say, man, I'm just so glad we're not like those people. But, there's a but, hopefully by now, you've realized just like with anger, just like with lust, just like with divorce, there's more than what catches the eye from just an initial reading. So before we are too quick to look and say, man, I'm glad I'm not like those people. Jesus says, the people of God, both then and now, this includes us as sojourn church, we should live such radically true lives as truth tellers that people can take us at our word. He says that people can, that your yes means yes and that your no means no. So if you say yes to something, then we know that yes, it means yes. And that something means no, it means no. This is the whole reason there's contracts with cell phone companies and gyms and uh, you know, on and on and on. Why? Because people can't take you at your word. And unfortunately, it's infected the church as well. But we should live such radically true lives that people can take us at a word. Now, Christianity is growing like rapid fire globally. The church in China, the church in India, the church in the Middle East, it is growing like rapid fire. Praise God for it. But there are a couple of places in the world where Christianity is shrinking, Most, mostly Europe and the U.S., we're one of those places where Christianity is shrinking. And cities like Portland, our city, are leading that change. And so it's not popular to be a Christian here. It brings you no credibility. And while I do not believe that we're being persecuted, I know that some have gone there with everything in the pandemic. I don't believe we're being persecuted. But I do believe that we're being discriminated against. I believe oftentimes and throughout our daily lives, I can see where discrimination towards Christians takes place. I mean, we're the city that says everything is you can do anything you want. We're welcoming, accepting, and affirming unless you believe the Bible, unless you believe these ethics. That's not my point of this sermon. But what I want to do is say, now imagine with me if the world, imagine if our city, that they hated us for our moral views, that they hated us for our sexual ethics, if they, if they hated us for many of those things, but they actually said, you know what? I hate you for these things. I disagree with you on these things. But we actually respect the heck out of you for being true to your word. Because when you say you're going to do something, we know that you're going to do it. When Sojourn Church says yes to something, our community, to love and serve our community, we know that you're going to follow through. How amazing would that be? What a, what a testimony that in and of itself would be. But are we there yet? In the church, not just Sojourn, but let's say in our, our city, the Church of Portland, and our nation, are we there yet? I don't think so. I don't think that we're there, unfortunately. But Jesus told us, he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So that brings us to our final question. And then we're going to wrap up. Or maybe I'm lying about it. Maybe I'm going to talk for another 30 minutes. Just kidding. I'm not. Please keep the laptop open and keep engaging with us. And so our third and final question this morning is, what are the practical implications of truth telling for Jesus followers today? What are these practical implications for you and for me? First off, the, the practical application is not just about making vows. Although that is how some throughout church history have interpreted it. And, and even some have gone to jail for refusing to take vows or different groups that, that refuse to. The second thing is what Jesus is teaching is it shouldn't be so necessary to have to take a vow because we live lives known for radical truth telling. Once again, that we should be people of our word and that people 
Although it may be a formality, that would be the only reason that would say, you know, I need to take, I need to need to get you to sign this. We need you to pay a deposit. Why do we pay a deposit? Because we don't believe you're going to follow through. So the only reason that they should have to get Christians to do that to say it's a formality, we have to do it for everyone, but we know that you're good for it. So okay, so how do we practically live lives of radical truth telling? What does that practically look like for you and for me? A few ways. One, we must acknowledge the comprehensive nature of God owning all of our lives. And so what do I mean by this? Tell the truth online and in person. For some reason, we have this uh, all this false news that we all believe and like to retweet and, and like and share and spread. But tell the truth online and in person. Tell the truth to people's faces and tell the truth behind their backs. Don't talk to someone like you like them and everything's all good and you go talk about, bad about them to someone else. Tell the truth at work and tell the truth at church. Tell the truth to family. Tell the truth to strangers. Tell the truth with big things and tell the truth with small things. Second way, recognize where it is that you are prone to lie. Recognize where it is that you are prone to lie. I said because I believe that we all have areas that we are prone to lie in. And so where, it is, where is it in your life? And if you're not sure, ask the Holy Spirit. He'll reveal it to you. I think for me, a couple of those ways are, uh, one is group acceptance. I'll be tempted to lie. You know, if you, you get within a group and maybe it's a group of pastors and we're talking about some kind of theology and, and maybe it's a theology I don't know a whole lot about or haven't studied. And you think, man, that's a really big word. And, you know, over there kind of on Google, like, what, what does this actually even mean? Okay, I want to now contribute to the conversation. And, you know, oh, did you know John Piper said this about that? And just kind of pretend that I'm in the know. Um, another way is, yeah, just a knowledge of a particular subject or, uh, or a particular field. And then, you know, as, as many church leaders are, at times I can be tempted to make our church sound bigger than what it really is. So I just say that just to be transparent with you all so you can see that we all have these areas. And so for you, this morning, ask the Holy Spirit, what area are you prone to lie in and ask for help there? The third practical way is understand why it is that you lie. You know, we've been lying from the beginning. We can look all the way back to Genesis. There's a couple of really good chapters and it kind of spirals downward from there. And all telling of lies starts by believing lies. Think about Eve. She believed the serpent. She believed the snake. And then what did she do? She went and lied. They lied to, to, to God and they're walking in the garden. And the fourth way is commit to truth-telling. Commit to truth-telling, church. This sounds simple, but this is Jesus' main point that you would commit to truth-telling. But you have to ask the Spirit of God to help us in telling the truth. So how do we do this? How do we practically tell the truth? Turn to truth-believing. God sees everything in our lives, every single thing. So God sees what you're dealing with right now. God sees how you're responding and how you're struggling to the pandemic. And God cares, but he also cares about your truth-telling. You know, I think in the church, we're, we're tempted a lot of times to not tell the truth to one another. We don't pretend that we're doing okay. Hey, how are you doing, man? I'm doing, I'm doing great. I'm doing good. And then meanwhile, you get in the car or you're back home and you're just alone and you're just depressed and you're just struggling. Don't do that. Be honest. If I, if I say, hey, how are you doing? And you're not doing good, tell me. Man, I'm doing awful. I'm doing crummy. This is the worst season of my life. I want to know those things so I can know how to pray for you, how to minister to you, how to even how to maybe help meet some of those needs that might be in your life. God made us, God knows us, and God loves us in his son, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20. It says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanius and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in, in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. 
What this means, church, is that there's hope for promise breakers like you and there's hope for promise breakers like me. So here's how we're going to respond this morning. We're going to respond to the promises of God through the meal of communion today. This is something I desperately miss doing as a, a body together because I, I think there is something to seeing one another participate in this meal. We've seen times where there's a reconciliation between people prior to communion being taken where we get to see us tangibly walk through the act of, of breaking the bread, representing Jesus' body, and, and dipping it in the, the juice of the wine, representing Jesus' blood. So I desperately miss doing this. And so as you were told at the beginning in our announcements, go ahead, if you haven't already, and, and grab your elements. Grab a cracker or a piece of bread or something similar. Grab some juice or some wine or, or something along those lines. And here's, here's what I want to tell you as we enter into this time of response. Eat this meal if you believe Jesus. Eat this meal if you believe the promises of Jesus and you have put your trust and faith in him. If you don't, and we likely have some tuning in this morning who don't, and that's okay, but don't eat this meal because if you do, then you're lying that because you, you don't believe this. And so just, just skip the meal if you're with someone else who's eating and that will be fine. Joseph's gonna come back up. He's gonna lead us in uh, song as we partake in this meal and then he'll lead us out in a final song of worship together as singing praises to Jesus. And so this morning, church, as you take the bread and the cup today, be reminded that all of his truths, all of his truths are yes in Christ Jesus. So let us go now and be truth tellers as we are representatives of Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us. Joseph will come back up and respond to the act of communion, and then we will finish out in one final song. Pray with me, church. God, we come to you yet again. We see an area of our lives that reality is that we all have our struggles of lying and truth-telling. God, sometimes it's to get us out of trouble or to stay face or to get a promotion or just a variety of reasons. And so, God, that we would become people of truth-tellers. God, that we would be the most reliable workers where we work, the most reliable family members, the most reliable coaches and mothers and fathers and daughters and sons. God, because we are known to be people of our word. And God, I pray now that as we walk through the act of communion, God, as an act of worship, as we are reminded, as we take the bread, be reminded of your body that was broken for us, God, on the cross. And as we dip it into the juice or the wine, be reminded of your blood that was shed for us, God, and for the sins of the world. God, that we do this as an act of remembrance, that we do this as a way to recenter our lives on you and your truth and your gospel message. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.